0: Get the house you want with the payment you want at buywithconrad.com. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this at buywithconrad.com. MLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender, the first step to buying a house is buywithconrad.com.
1: Jim Crockett Promotions presents Ric Flair's Last Match. July 31st at the Nashville Municipal Auditorium. StarCast Weekend in Nashville. Bringing wrestling companies together for one of the most unique cards ever assembled. Main evented by Ric Flair's Last Match. Tickets are on sale right now at rickflairslastmatch.com And you can catch the show live streaming on pay-per-view and Fight TV for only $34.99. Ric Flair's Last Match. Walk in that aisle one more time for the last time. StarCast is presented in part by ProWrestlingTees.com. T-shirts designed and sold by over 2,500 pro wrestlers. By Lenny Bakken, certified financial planner. And by Powerbomb Pizza. Pizza crafted and sold by pro wrestlers. Powerbomb Pizza, powered by Kitsch Data.
2: Good
3: Spoken here on the Extreme Life of Matt Hardy, presented to you exclusively by Podcast Heat and ad-free shows. I, of course, am John Alba, joined as I am every single week by the man of the hour, the woken, the broken, and spoken one himself, Mr. Matt Hardy. What's going on, my friend?
2: Uh, I am just here hanging out in Rochester, New York. We're getting ready for a huge
3: dynamite and rampage tonight. Rochester, New York, man. That's, uh, that was supposed to be a special place for Matt Hardy and AEW lore.
2: It was. Uh, Rochester, New York is going to be the big show. It was a sold-out packed show where myself and Brody, we did the double debut. We did the big swerve as far as the exalted one. Uh, but it was not to be had. Uh, hello, coronavirus pandemic, and hello to the empty arena wrestling area that we uh, uh, era that we lived through through the pandemic
3: which we covered extensively in our archive on the Stadium Stampede episode, which you can go Mm -hmm. check out at ExtremeHardy.com. Beards coming in, looking good on you.
2: It is slowly coming in, yeah. I'm uh, two weeks out right now, as of today. Less than two, I'll be two weeks tomorrow.
3: The new Matt Hardy brand, if you will, we're starting to see it a little bit, Matt, on BTE. We saw you get a little frustrated on rampaged this past week you got tossed aside and classified obsolete by the butcher and the blade what's going on man
2: um it's been a tough time uh recently in my career obviously with everything that happened with my brother and then uh you know me just now kind of being put on the back burner even uh as I made my entrance it ended up being in picture in picture uh I had like a great reaction, uh, great pop, you know, whenever I came out for the the Royal Rumble, but it was on television, uh, no one would hear it because it was during Picture in Picture, but it, it is what it is, and then I got eliminated by The Butcher and The Blade, two guys that uh, worked for me for the longest amount of time, so in some ways, I truly feel like karma is coming to get me a little bit, and uh, it, it, if karma is a real thing that comes and gets people that believe they've treated others incorrectly in the past and um, maybe it is coming from me because just a couple of days ago John I was telling you this was on Saturday I've had this tooth that I broke back in 2002, 2003 and in, in the uh, midst of a match and uh, it was broke really bad it was my very last tooth on the top left side and uh, I'd got it repaired a little bit and then that feeling came out as well and then uh, got it refilled. And then that feeling came out about a year and a half ago. And I've just been like, ah, oh, I'm not really going to mess with it. This tooth is very frustrating. It's annoying. Uh, you know, it keeps getting broken off in the back, too, and whatever. And i would had a couple incidents with it where it got sore, my gum a little bit. And it's like, oh, what's a, a, a real weird tooth because it's been broken. I said, let me try and floss it and get whatever food is out or whatever. That's probably what's causing the, the issue. But this weekend on Saturday, it was unbearable. I went to sleep. I couldn't sleep Saturday night. Sunday, I had to go to an emergency doctor. And uh, the tooth ended up being abscessed and it was uh, very badly infected. I felt terrible. And they said, well, we can either A, put you on hold for a few days and do a root canal or two, we can get rid of the tooth. I said, am I going to need that tooth? And they said, no, not really. It's in the back and it's so damaged. Let's get rid of it. So we get rid of it. And that's how I spent my 4th of July weekend. So, uh, I mean, there might be something real. Karma is coming to get me. Like nothing is going my way in this day and age.
3: (laughs) Oh, boy. What a... What other essence do you think that tooth took up at some other lifetime? Uh,
2: I would almost have guessed uh, the tooth was also uh, its essence was in George Washington's mouth at one mm. point. You know? Wooden, yes. yeah, because it was wooden and broken. Mm. He 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 probably kept the essence of his tooth in the style of wooden, and obviously I kept mine broken.
3: I think all that teeth clattering that you did, all that chomping you did, is the broken. Harris yeah, probably didn't help out.
2: That that probably uh, was very, very bad, yeah. Yes.
3: Well, I'm glad that you're feeling a little better now, at least. I know it's been a little hellacious travel for you, but we have a lot of yeah. exciting announcements here before we get into our topic this week, which is going to be about the Hardy Boys winning their first tag team gold 23 years ago. We just passed the anniversary of it, but we have some very cool things to announce. Matt Hardy, we're taking this show live a couple times in the next Few weeks here. The first one is coming up. Very excited for this. Our ad-free shows, faithful, are gonna get Matt Hardy live on Tuesday night. That is next Tuesday, as we record this, which will be July twelfth at 9 p.m. Eastern. We are doing Matt Hardy Live, and you and I are gonna be watching TLC one back.
2: I'm I'm pumped for this, John. This is gonna be so much fun. I've wanted to do one of these live shows for quite a while. Finally, uh, the schedule allowed it, and we're all set to go. I, I'm so excited to, to talk with everyone next week at 9 p.m.
3: Yes, the ad-free shows faithful are extremely excited to chat with Matt Hardy. We're going to watch the show, and then Matt's going to take Q and A. It's going to be ask Matt anything for the ad-free shows faithful. So, adfreeshows.com. That's going to be open up to the $29 and up a month tier. So, get in on that. You still got time to. And Matt and I are going to have a blast hanging out with all you guys. I know we got a lot of loyal ad-free shows fans that listen to the extreme life of Matt Hardy. So the most loyal. Them. We thank them for their support. And this is the big one, Matt. We put it the word out there this past week. StarCast 5 is looking loaded. And yeah. they're bringing in the closer to wrap things up at that shindig. Matt Hardy, you and I are going to be doing a live panel and on pay-per-view to close out StarCast. That's what's up, man.
2: Uh, that that's gonna be exciting uh, this is something new that I've never done before uh broadcast a live podcast and on top of that we're going on last brother we really got to go strong we're in the main brother we got we gotta come up with some good material
0: we are uh, in the main
2: it, it's gonna it's gonna be a lot of fun John I'm really excited about it looking forward that that whole weekend of you know Ric flair's last match and him trying to go out you know in a in a blaze of glory and and go out with one last truly great match and then actually realistically honestly stop uh very cool. It's going to be a cool weekend.
3: Matt will be meeting and chatting with all the fans that come up as well to him. You got those gimmicks ready to go. I know that. If I know Matt Hardy, there's always a gimmick to be sold. Starcast.com. Go get your tickets. Matt and I are going to be on July 31st at 4 o'clock. You're going to be able to view the panel in person if you'd like to attend. You'll be able to ask questions. We're going to have a Q&A set up for that. And uh, as he said, it will also be on pay per view. Fight TV is going to be broadcasting that. And we are going to be the lead in to the Ric Flair's last match pay per view. Right. Which is very, very exciting. And uh, I don't know if you've seen the talent for that, Matt. The talent uh, for that pay per view is absurd.
2: No, it's a, it's a stacked show. I mean, he, he really, Conrad and, and team really went all out. You know, every single podcast is there. It sounds so intriguing and and interesting. And then he has this uh, amazing lineup of talent for the show. It's going to be a great weekend, man. If you're a wrestling fan, you don't want to miss it.
3: Yes. And it's in Nashville. Who doesn't want to go to Nashville? Go check that out. It's the day after SummerSlam. It's going to be very cool. StarCast.com. Go get your tickets right now. Matt and I would love to meet you. We will make the time to meet anybody that comes up to us. I promise you that. So uh, come hang out with us and enjoy the extreme life. Of Matt Hardy live now Matt I would be remiss if I didn't get into what I promised last week I said that we were going to read a review that was going to be the winner of our t-shirt giveaway I picked one for us and uh, congratulations to Todd Crow who sent in this review Matt he says do yourself a favor and listen this is a top tier podcast I honestly think the average listener could benefit from this podcast whether a wrestling fan or not Matt and John talk life, struggles, family, and a multitude of other topics. Both guys are sharp, and each episode keeps your attention. Matt offers great insight on all of your favorite moments from his career, while John seemingly knows how, what, when to ask each question to draw out more information. The chemistry is great. Each Friday can't come soon enough. So, thank you, Todd, for that.
2: Thank you very much, Todd. We uh, we are grateful that you have supported our show on top of just checking it out, and and I'm I'm thrilled that you're enjoying it. And thank you so much for leaving that very kind kind review.
3: So, Todd, you can DM me on Twitter or Instagram and send me your shirt size and which shirt you would like, and we'll get one of those box of gimmicks Matt Hardy t shirts. Matt, which one would you recommend that he pick up? Should he let it play out? Should he determine if it's Matt Fact or Matt Fiction? Should it be spoken? What do you think?
2: I would say uh, let's go with Matt Fact. Or Mad Fiction.
3: I like that shirt a lot. I wore that to the ECW arena this past weekend. I got the shit beat out of me. It was super fun. Wonderful. (laughs) Uh, So, Todd, if you don't get back to me within a week, I'm going to have to pick another one. So make sure you shoot me that DM and we'll get you that T-shirt sent out to you. Uh, And then, Matt, the last thing I got for you before we get into the episode this week, Blood and Guts this past week was absolutely gnarly, man. What would you think of it?
2: Uh, it uh, lived up to the name of the match for sure. It was definitely blood and guts and uh, just just chaos, just bedlam all throughout that match. And uh, so so many great moments in it. And uh, it, it's it's really cool that it lasted an hour on television and ratings went up the entire match. I don't know if you looked into that, but I happen to see that. It, I, I'm always so intrigued by what people's uh, you know attention levels are when it comes to like long a long wrestling match in 2022. But you know that match was out there for an hour and it grew the entire time, every quarter, which is, is just fantastic.
3: That's because those perpetual rating tankers, the Hardy Boys, were not in that match. That's why, Matt.
2: They were probably concussed. <laughs> 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 oh man, that I'm, is so I'm glad that popped you. That's just a little joke. We John actually used that on me earlier today. So. <laughs> just panned him back.
3: That is so great. I love that so much. Um, no, it was awesome. Blood and guts ruled. It was so good. Uh, did you see the Matt Menard promo that was making the rounds on social media? Yeah, 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 yeah. Holy uh, shit!
2: I, I loved it. I, I thought I thought it was just stupendous. I thought what, a it was so, so what a great
3: talent! What a great yeah. talent,
2: huh? I mean, what a, what an amazing job they have done, and the opportunities have been allowed, you know, to to undertake here at AEW. Those guys have been killing it, man. What what a great signing two point would be.
3: Daddy Magic. Yeah. I'd love, to, I'd love to see some interactions with you. And I'm, I think we saw that tease on BTE, Madden right. Jet. That was pretty funny. I like that. So uh, maybe we can get some more.
2: They, that's, where, that's where I joked with them about they might have to change their names, right?
3: Yes, and they did. And see, that's why I love <laughs> everything made sense. <laughs> you even made a small thing that teased into that. That was good stuff.
2: Hey, man, if you're watching the John and, and you were uh, pessimistic, just let it play out
3: let it play out boxygimmicks.com get that t-shirt and get your Matt facts on this Friday here on the extreme life of Matt Hardy hit him with it brother
2: get my head straight Matt fact Matt's latest resolution is to avoid procrastination
3: is that because of the tooth
2: Yes, sir. Because <laughs> I there have been times where I'd said that over the last year. So like, oh, I really should go ahead and go ahead and get this thing taken care of. Yeah. I should get this thing taken care of.
3: Mm-hmm. So once
2: again, uh, another lesson learned.
3: And the tooth said, nah, let it play out, man. It'll be good." And
2: yeah, yeah, it'll be good, man. It'll feel great. <laughs> I said, I, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna help you work on your selling, brother. I'm gonna help <laughs> you work on your selling."
3: Well, we are going all the way back in the way back Machine to the year 1999 this week on the Extreme Life of Matt Hardy. This was a personal suggestion of yours to cover this, and so I don't blame you because we, we talked about it a little bit on our Michael Hayes episode, which is one of my favorite episodes of this podcast that you should go check out right. uh, in the archive, ExtremeHardy.com. But this is when you and Jeff achieve the dream. You win the yes. WWF Tag Team Championship. And uh, I want to talk about that childhood dream.
2: And I, I wanted to say this too, John. That that sure. was legitimately our childhood dream. Uh, once we started teaming up a little bit in WWE, and, and they put us together, and they called us the Hardy Boys, just probably you know based off the detective books, the Hardy Boys back in the day. Um, whenever they started calling us that, like our our goal, our in game was to be the WWF World Tag Team Champions just one time. And if we did that, we succeeded. We succeeded. And and that was legitimately the goal whenever we started there.
3: So I was going to ask you, let's go all the way back here to the backwoods of Cameron, North Carolina. You and Jeff are growing up big fans of wrestling. You love Macho Man. Jeff loves Shawn Michaels. Right. Are, are you guys thinking about becoming a tag team one day? Is that a childhood dream when you guys are very young?
2: There, there's definitely times we talked about it. I think we became – focused on singles a little more earlier on, just because once we actually started wrestling, a lot of times if there was no one that could work with us or work our style on these independent shows in the in the early 90s, too, keep in mind, uh, then Jeff and I would just wrestle one another. So being a tag team wasn't our biggest focus then, but whenever we would team up, uh, we took it very serious, and, and it was something in the back of our heads for sure that we wanted to be a tag team and, and reach the highest limits in pro wrestling.
3: Did you guys find that you had natural chemistry as a tag team just because of knowing each other as well as you did? With,
2: with, without a doubt, yeah. I mean, because we've been around each other our entire lives, obviously. you know. So we, we just kind of instinctually know what our brother's thinking typically more than you know other people would because I've just seen him his whole life and I just know him so well and, and vice versa. So yeah, it, that definitely added to our chemistry in the ring as a tag team
1: If someone relies on you financially, your spouse, your child, anyone, life insurance gives you the peace of mind that they'll have a financial cushion if something ever happens to you. By making it easy to compare your options from top companies, Goliath Life helps make sure you're not paying a penny more than you have to for the life insurance coverage you need to protect those you love. At GoliathLife.com, you can compare personalized quotes from top companies to find your lowest price. The process is fast and easy with no hidden fees, upsells, or hassles. Goliath Life is your one-stop shop to find the life insurance you need at the right price. Head to GoliathLife.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you can save. That's GoliathLife.com.
3: You, you reached the age where you're starting to understand what appeals to you as wrestlers. Do you remember having a big bang moment of sorts when it came to tag teams, like watching one tag team and you're like, whoa, that's that's something that we can be someday?
2: Yeah, Uh one of the first tag teams, obviously, which stood out for us were, were the Rockers, you know, because they had that style that we would end up emulating in many ways. Uh, so the Rockers were obviously one of our, our first favorites. And as you know, Shawn Michaels obviously went on to be highly influential between, you know, between myself and Jeff and and his ladder match with Razor Ramon, which inspired our uh, ladder match madness to begin.
3: So that's cool. So you you have this influence growing up. And eventually you make your way to New York. You guys are doing the runs with the Italian Stallion. And you're not getting a chance to tag in those. Those are all enhancement matches. Maybe every now and then, I don't have it in front of me, but maybe every now and then you got an opportunity. But were there any frustrations that you guys didn't get to show that what you could do together? Uh,
2: especially the first few years, not at all. Uh, I mean, we we, we just... We wanted to go out and, and just prove ourselves individually, just in the ring, that we could both take, you know, great bumps for guys. We could make them look good. And and we we thought if we could show talent in that way by putting talent over, just by, by shining when we sell and, and being able to take a, a big bump or do something cool in the match that really stands out, we thought if we could do that over and over, they would recognize our talent and they would eventually give us an opportunity. Once we did get to start teaming, I think it was very beneficial to us because – as they called us by our legitimate real name hardy the hardy boys it, j- it just kind of caught on because it reminded people of you know the old detective mysteries they would read whatever so we were very fortunate once we started teaming a, a lot more and and there was buzz that they might do something with us in the future then it became a little more frustrating we we're like come on is this really gonna happen or are we just like spinning our wheels here are we just treading water are you really gonna sound so we're gonna make this our career because you know we hear buzz of it so that last year or so before we got signed was was a little tough because we had heard some buzz that they were interested in us, but then it felt like we might never get you know we might never reach the 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 promised land of a contract.
3: Did you guys have any targets on your back as a brother tandem? I feel like in that era, the Wild West, as you've called it, having something like that might make you a target at some point. Uh,
2: we we were we were okay. The only person that I can really think of that targeted us more than anybody else was Christian Cage. <laughs> oh, uh, there, that, there there was a point where, worm. yeah, uh, where uh, Jeff, we were wrestling Furnace in Lafon, and Jeff went up for a springboard moonsault, and he slips off the top rope, and he crashes on the floor. And like we had to change the whole match around from there because that ended up being the start of the heat, and we had a somewhat competitive match with these guys. But Christian had heard, Christian Cage had heard that we had been signed and we we're going to be, you know, employees of the WWE and he'd been working to have a contract for so, so long. And whenever Jeff slipped off the top rope, he said he chaired at his house because he was so mad that we got contracts and he didn't. He cheered for for Jeff's Jeff's destruction, uh, which is a funny story that we still share all the time now. And eventually he got signed and and we all ended up being okay. We ended up being best frenemies, but uh, th- that's a very funny but true story. He was very envious of Jeff and I right when we first signed, and he cheered when Jeff slipped off the top rope from a moonsault body block to the floor.
3: <laughs> I guess that tracks pretty well with who Christian Cage is now these days, what we're seeing, that he would be envious of that. Uh, did Sexting Hardcastle ever express similar frustrations?
2: No, he wasn't frustrated because he was signed. He <laughs> okay. he was already making money. That's why That's why Christian Cage, he was the last one to get signed. So okay, I got gotcha. you. That's why he was showing that frustration and, and envy and jealousy. He's it's, he's good. He's good with jealousy.
3: It's funny. I'm looking back through your guys' cage match at what the first Hardy Boys match on record is, and I had no idea that you and Jeff worked Smoky Mountain. Yeah, um, and your first match on record is July sixth, ironically, which is the day we tape this today, July sixth. Okay. Uh, 1995 against the Headbangers, who I actually just worked with amazingly at the ECW arena. You, oh, you were with with,
2: both of them, Chaz England?
3: You worked with the Headbangers in 1995, July 6, 1995, which is uh, almost 30 years ago. And I got to work with them at the ECW arena just this past week. How insane is that, Matt? Just what uh, a wild. wild world. Yeah, uh,
2: man. Very, very crazy. Uh the, the Headbangers too. They were, they were pretty influential. And myself and and Jeff after we got to WWE, because we actually this was our first time meeting them at Smoky Mountain. We got to work with them in WWE a couple of times before we got signed. And uh, they they were always cool to us. And there was a point when I was getting car car vouchers when I was 24 and Jeff was 21 or 22, you know, but you were technically supposed to be 25 to be able to run a car. So sometimes they would allow us to, to do it. Because the WWF was paying for us. We are on a developmental deal. But often they wouldn't. And then uh, Chaz and Glenn ended up just like I signed over the thing to those guys. And they were old enough, obviously, to run the card. Then we would all travel together. So they, they did help us out in that capacity. And we have uh, quite a quite a bunch of funny stories with the
3: Headbangers. I just think it's so crazy that you guys were working together that long ago. And your first match together, you and Jeff have on WWE TV. It's not even TV. It's truthfully. It's a dark match. But it's at a raw taping. Is against the overlords in fayetteville north carolina on may 27th 1996 so that's do you remember that match
2: i i do i do uh the, those guys did independence uh around north carolina uh, if i'm not mistaken it was the, the ring lords but this is what they ended up calling them at, at WWE, obviously so yeah we were Familiar with those guys? We had not worked with them a whole lot. Uh, maybe a, a time or two on indies in the past, but I, I was familiar with those guys, and I do remember that match.
3: The Ring Lords. It has them listed as Rick Slagle and Speedy Gonzalez. Yeah, that's correct. That that's just who I was thinking of. Yeah,
2: they were called the Overlords, though. You said it. That
3: I don't. The, so I, I see the Ring Lords on here, and then I see the Overlords as well. Oh, just oh. I got you, got you, got you. Maybe yeah, the Ring
2: Lords is what I knew
3: those guys by. And then this is crazy. Your second WWF match on tv it's actually your first match as a tag team on tv is for the world tag team titles against the smoking guns and that is may 28th 1996 there uh, I have same it. venue or no actually this is in north Car. this is in south carolina north charleston and then yep. later that day you tape again and you face the new rockers leaf cassidy also known as al snow and marty genetti what yes. a weird little tag team odyssey you guys had in those early days that's So bizarre. Yeah,
2: just, I mean, we we were journeymen, you know, who were just uh, ready to do whatever for whoever
3: at that point. But 1998, you guys get signed. You just mentioned Christian giving you guys shit for that. What kind of relief did you guys have when you got those contracts and what did those contracts look like?
2: We were <laughs> so excited. Once again, it was a, a, a literal dream coming true, you know, to, to be able to sign a contract and be able to make a, a living, make a career out of your your dream, you know, something you've worked for now. for At that point, we were six years in, you know, so uh, I, I guess in the big scheme of things, we got signed a lot earlier than other people did. But I know we did bust our ass for the six years and, and we did so many drives uh, where we'd make 15 or 20 bucks, which ultimately we ended up paying money because it would be so expensive at the end. But it was just, uh, it was it was a great time for us to learn, especially working so many different opponents and you're always thrown in different situations. So great learning experience more than anything, working with so many different people.
3: Do you remember what those deals looked like?
2: Yes, our developmental deals uh, initially in the beginning were $300 a week. And then you would get $300 if you wrestled a match. That was our developmental deal. And we'd signed it for three years initially. Wow. So j- just considering that... Uh, we were getting three hundred dollars every single week coming our house. We were ecstatic, as you can imagine. I mean, those contracts—they were the smallest contracts, obviously there—but like we were just excited to get our our feet in the water.
3: And is that to train with in, in the Funkin Dojo, Doctor Tom? All that is that where you guys are getting some that, reps? That,
2: that, that's that's what happened. Uh, the developmental system at that time was more or less like the the Funkin Dojo, where literally you would go up to Stanford, you would spend a couple weeks, you would train for several days and then you would run uh, some independent wrestling show events to kind of uh, practice what you've been learning all week or what you've been working on so th- those uh, those weeks were tough they were really interesting that's where we first met Christian Cage initially I mean so many guys test Albert so many guys were there Teddy Hart you know was famously there he was one of the first people we met at our first you know funkin dojo but we ended up doing two of those. And then uh, we we started going to TV, so we we're excited about that too because we know if we we're at TV and we wrestled, not only would we get that 300 weekly, we'd get 300 for another match. You know, so we were very excited to uh, to be making money with WWE at that time.
3: I'd love to know are they trying to get rid of bad habits from you guys at that point? Because you guys are certainly probably more athletic than a lot of the other talent in there. You're doing things that nobody else is really doing. You're doing moon salts, you're doing whisper in the wind. I I'm, can't imagine. Albert is doing anything like that so did they try to rein back any of those habits from you guys in training
1: yeah
2: they, they, they definitely uh back and once again it was something that we needed to to work on and learn as well as far as just like putting together like solid fundamentally strong matches and Dory Funk was great at that and Dr. Tom Pritchard was, is amazing too and like both those guys so much and appreciate all the knowledge they passed along during this and Dojos
3: Dr. Tom, also a member of our ad-free shows family. You can go check him out there, adfreeshows.com. He and Paul Bromwell have a lot of fun there together. Uh, so you guys are given a chance to run with it, and you get this developmental deal. And throughout much of 98, you're working with a, a strange array of characters. We talked a couple weeks ago how you and Two right. Much were kind of married together, doing yeah. a bunch of house shows. Uh, it, it seemed like
2: we were married to too much forever in the beginning. I mean, we just, we had, we had a, a match down with them that we could do in our sleep.
3: I saw in my research for this around that time, this was crazy on a developmental show. And I have to imagine it was set up through training and and stuff. And that's just me being presumptuous, but it was Scott Taylor mm-hmm. and Dr. Tom against the Hardy boys at an indie show.
2: Yeah, that, that was one of the, uh, the weekend matches, of the Funkin Dojo, that that was on the end of a training session up in Stanford.
3: So that's what it would look like. You would you would train, and then they'd put you on an indie show. And for Doctor well, Tom to get in there and wrestle with you guys, I just thought that was super cool.
2: Yeah, yeah, no. You we would we would train for ten days, and then we'd do three or four days of uh, of indie shows. And and they would literally just kind of like you know judge you on what you've worked on all week. That that was the developmental system in 1998.
3: So you're working guys you trained with. You're not working anybody else on the. Indie show, typically.
2: Most of the time, it was people that we trained with. There, there were a few times when some of the guys were, you know, kind of the well-known or well-established name or veteran there on these indie shows, where some of our guys would would work against
3: them. But well, you're typically, not working with Steve the Destroyer or anything like that, you're not having a match. Yeah,
2: yeah, you're you're, you're working with a credentialed guy. Exactly. You know, if if you're on those shows. But but typically, it was it was everyone, all the students of the Funking Dojo working against one another.
3: Okay. And and that's good because that's getting you guys in front of a live crowd. You're learning how to, now you guys obviously because you had right. Omega and everything. But sure, for, for a lot of those guys, probably like test and stuff, getting those live reps in front of the crowds. That's kind of the genesis of building a developmental talent, isn't it?
2: I mean, it is. Yeah, for sure. That that is. Uh, I mean, I, I thought that was a great process, and it was a, a great learning experience too. We we did we took in so much knowledge and it, I mean, we bust our ass practicing and working out during those, uh, those weeks in the Funkin' Dojo. I mean, th- those were long 10 days, especially you'd get up, you'd work out first thing and they uh, would send you to the cafeteria in Titan towers and you would go eat and try and protein up. And then there would be like, you know, six hours, seven hours of like taking bumps. It was a, it was a long day.
3: I just think of the charm of independent wrestling where Shows like that, you're probably in front of 50 people, maybe a hundred, if it's a good draw, good night, some gimmicks sold. How much did those experiences make you guys appreciate the journey that you were on? Oh, I mean,
2: coming up in the indies, like from absolutely nothing, not knowing anyone of the business and, and the journey and, and just the, the expedition to our contracts that, you know, myself and my brother went through. I mean, it made us appreciate everything so much. And it just made us so grateful. And it always has still to this day. You know, now that I'd signed my first contract, it's been almost 25 years or whatever. But, like, I'm just still so appreciative that I get the opportunity to work in this industry and and make money in this industry and and build a career out of this industry. I mean, I feel so blessed every single day. You know, that that's – I think a lot of that appreciation came from the way we came up on the indie scene.
3: What was the most valuable piece of advice that you got at the funkin' dojo, whether it be from Tom Pritchard or anybody else?
2: Just how, how much the stress, like uh, you know, a point that Michael Hayes would tell us later. Like the people in the front row, you know, they they might know what we do is somewhat of a show. It might be entertaining, but you have to throw strikes and blows where people believe, you know, I wouldn't want to get in a fight with them. They would they would destroy me. They're they're a legitimate tough person. I don't want to fight that person. You know, there's that facade you have to present about yourself, you know, that regardless if you're a killer or not, you have to have like, you know, killer instincts. You have to, you know, very vicious strikes. You have to be able to fight and throw blows, you know, because if the crowd doesn't believe you can truly fight, then they won't buy you uh, as a, a legitimate wrestler as much.
3: I think that's one of the best pieces of advice I've ever heard in wrestling and when you, you shared that with us in an early episode I immediately went back to it with some indie talent that I work with and I manage And I was like guys like even because we'll do match reviews we'll talk about it I'm like man lay those things in you know make them make them really look like they're effective because I've seen private party adapt ever since you worked with them too man and Isaiah is like a freaking fire out there. It's crazy. Yeah, how
2: uh, I mean, work. Isaiah's growth has been uh, has been wild. I mean, he, he has grown exponentially as a performer and as a character. He's doing so well. So proud of him.
3: Yeah. So cool stuff there. Uh, but like I said, you're, you're working with too much. You're working with the oddities. You're working yeah. with LOD 2000. How bizarre was that working with the road warriors at that stage of their career? Cause unfortunately they were kind of shells of themselves, but there's still these legendary tag figures.
2: I mean, it, it was wild. It was, it was very cool to get to work with the road warriors. The fact that we got to say that we like shared rings with Hawk and animal was, uh, was really cool. And I know a lot of times uh, at the very end there, it was, Animal dries when they were doing the LOD two thousand thing that they were working together. But like, I, I enjoyed working with those guys, especially because we grew up watching them, obviously, and they were just like the the baddest asses in the history of wrestling. So it was very cool to get to work with them.
3: Yeah, and you are getting to work with all these just weird odd teams. You get Kai and Ty. 1998 into 1999, we know there's talent in the WWF tag division, but it's not being showcased in any meaningful way. Were there any kind of discussions throughout the locker room of the state of the tag team division in that time period?
2: Not from us. Uh, not from like us or an and Christian. I mean, we, we were just happy to be there. We would go out and whatever they asked us to do, we would just do it to the best of our ability. And I feel like that's all we were focused on then. We weren't really thinking too much past that. We just wanted to, to get over and become established so we could all make as much
0: money as possible. If you could change one thing about your home, what would it be? A new kitchen, a new master bath, maybe put in a pool. What if you could do it with no money out of pocket and cheaper monthly payments? Save SaveWithConrad.com can help, and you can even skip your next two house payments. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. SaveWithConrad.com.
3: Well, as we trudge on here, we get to a team that we're going to talk a little bit about, and that is the Acolytes, also known yeah. as the APA. Your first match against them comes November 16th, 1998 on Shotgun Saturday night. It is a loss to them. They are relatively recently formed as a tag team at that juncture. What did you think individually first? Your first impressions of Ron Simmons and John Bradshaw Layfield.
2: My first impression uh, of Ron Simmons initially was like, wow, he's like a a serious guy. Because he's one of those guys, he kind of... To really open up like he's funny as hell man but he almost has to half-ass know you a little bit especially back in those days in the beginning so i just remember thinking oh my god like he's a serious dude like i, I could tell he's a badass legitimate athlete like he's one of the guys you wouldn't want to piss off if you're in the ring with him and then J- jbo was just like this overwhelming personality you know especially backstage as he kind of accepted the the role of the enforcer you know for the undertaker you know that was kind of his gig so that just thinking, like, oh my god, this guy's like, uh, this guy like, kind of uh, keeps the locker room in check, or either terrorizes the locker room, however you want to look at it. But I mean, that's what really stood out about JBL in the beginning as well.
3: It's a peculiar time for both of them because they are searching for their characters in their own right. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Peruk yeah, yeah. Ron Simmons had a pretty substantial main event run for a period of time in the mid nineties. Then he has the Nation of Domination doesn't quite reach the level that I think many thought he might as the leader of the nation of domination. I think a lot of people said, Hey, this is a guy that could be the world champion, but right that, that pesky Dwayne Johnson guy came along and kind of stole all the spotlight from him. Yeah.
2: And, he started meddling with him and ruined it all.
3: Yes. Ruined it all. And you got a lot of other guys in that group that broke out with their own personalities. We saw D'Lo Brown develop a personality. We right. saw Kama Mustafa become the godfather. So There's a lot of talent in the Nation of Domination group. Why do you think it was that Ron wasn't quite able to break out in the singles lane that he did in WCW?
2: Uh, I don't know. Maybe it was because we were starting to go through a little bit of change in the style of wrestling. Wrestling was starting to become a little more fast paced, a little more athletic. And Ron is just like a, a very solid Old school wrestler. Yep. And he's just so, so physical and so aggressive and like so legitimate. I mean, you could just tell that you still can. Um, so I mean, maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe he just didn't have that exact uh new, fresh type of athleticism in the ring that you know, maybe fans were looking for at that time. Uh, and you know, maybe he just he he was what he was. So they they just utilized
3: him in the best way they could. And they did. They found a great way to utilize him here in the Acolytes. And Bradshaw, he's got a bunch of different gimmicks, Blackjack Bradshaw, trying a whole bunch of different things. But finally, he (laughs) synced up with Ron Simmons here. Why do you think they got along so well and were the perfect fit for each other as a tag team? Because I think anyone who watched the APA would agree that they were the perfect mesh for one another.
2: Yeah, I mean they they were great. Their their personalities meshed so well, and they had so many things in common. You know, they both took a lot of pride in being, you know, tough guys who aren't afraid to drink a beer and they'll go in a bar and whip somebody's ass. You know, like legitimate guys. So yeah, they 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 got along, and and especially the better I got to know both of those guys, I understood why they you know why they got to, got along so well together because they were so similar in so many ways. They had very similar personalities, very similar sense of humor too.
3: How did they take to you and Jeff? Because you guys are so young. You're 24 years old, 25 years old. Jeff's younger than you. They're these upstanding veterans who are running ranks on the locker room. Yeah. What do you remember that relationship being like?
2: Um, I remember uh, Ron was always just – Ron was kind of quiet, but he was always nice, always friendly. Uh, Bradshaw was the guy who, you know, had kind of been given the assignment of testing all the younger talent that enters the locker room. That was kind of his deal to kind of see, you know, see, see where they are, you know, are these people trustworthy? Do they belong in our fraternity, you know, and, and whatnot. That, that was almost the the job he was given. So I guess it would be hit or miss with him. <laughs> you know, sometimes if, if you had heat, it would probably be a miss, but you know, if you did something good and he was complimenting you, it'd be a hit. So w- one thing that pops to my mind when you start thinking about Bradshaw, when we were doing these early house shows and we were wearing tights and whatnot, we were at one show and, I remember he came up to him and said, well, hell, his arties, you know, the audience is really starting to like you guys a little bit. You're working real hard, but you know, we, we have a very special assignment so that you can one day fit into the locker room. He said, I want you to drive to the next town, which is about three and a half, four hours away. And I want you guys to get a six pack of beer each. He said, I want you to start drinking the beers and then throw them at street signs. And I want to know, does your percentage get better or worse? You know, the more drunk you get, give me a full report tomorrow. And then uh, we ended up driving. Obviously, Jeff and I—we didn't drink at that time. And and I, once again, I want to say this too. I'm not saying he's suggesting drinking and driving. He just gave us this like silly assignment as far as throwing bottles at uh, street signs and just you know just just once again that that's almost like the, the hazing process where they they fuck with you a little bit just kind of to see how you'll react to it. And the next day we were in there and I remember we came up and said, "Well, hell, I thought of something to go last night, Hardee's," and I said, "Oh, well." I'm I just I need to tell you something and Jeff's like don't Matt I was like <laughs> we, we don't drink he said you don't drink what kind of freaks are you two and then we'd say oh we're so sorry we don't drink but, but thanks Mr. Bradshaw and he'd say go to hell and we got that for like four weeks straight every time hello how are you today Mr. Bradshaw go to hell go to hell so you know like it, it really depended uh if you if you had heat or not, <laughs> how much you like JBL Bradshaw during those days?
3: We're gonna make a soundboard of that. Go to hell and just freaking <laughs> every uh, so often here. That was great. I love go to hell. Your Bradshaw impression is low key one of the best in the wrestling podcast <laughs> world. I've had fans tell me that too. That Matt does a really good JBL. Like it. This is the draw. You get the embodiment of his personality. So you guys are young. And Bradshaw is policing things, if we will, here. Yes, and
2: that's a a fair word to use, policing things.
3: And as we know, he becomes the enforcer at Wrestler's Court. Uh, This this is a story that you have told in our archive, which you can go check out ExtremeHardy.com, where uh, the Hardy Boys found themselves in Wrestler's Court. But uh, would you like to remind some of the audience about his accusations against you guys?
2: Uh, which, which wrestler's court in particular are you talking oh, about? Oh, there's
3: more than one involving uh, you guys. I was talking about the first class ticket, but since you've already yeah. told that story, if you have another one, I'd love to hear the other ones.
2: Yeah, no, the, 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 that's the one that I assumed you were talking about, yes. the, the first class ticket, you know, where, uh, where we so viciously robbed Kane of his first class seat. You know, and, and and then once again, the talent they held us in the seat. Once we tried to get out, and they they wouldn't let us actually go out and sit and coach. Uh, so 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 we got a little, you know, we got got a little heat for that. But that that one was sort of uh, very minimal in the big scheme of things because they actually
3: yeah.
2: really tried to put the heat on Michael, and and yes. they kind of the smartened us up to that. You know, that that's once again another very funny JBL story. You know, as as he uh, the you know the night after they put us over for the tag team titles then you know michael awards us the next day as we're flying to you know upstate new york he awards us with these two first class seats because he's a delta billion mile billion mile person guy and uh and of course at the last second kane comes running in and he was late for his flight and barely made it and we ended up taking annoyingly one of his first class seats and then uh obviously we uh we were in the wrong then because you know, Bradshaw said, Well, hell, these Hardy boys just think they're main eventers. They said, Go to hell, Kane.
3: You know, <laughs> he uh, he's a trip, man. What was the other time? You said there was another wrestler's court.
2: Uh yeah, I mean the the, the other the other wrestling court, well one this is this is one I'll tell a little later when I can figure out a way to edit okay. the story. There's no okay. way to safely right. tell tell this one, but, but I will. I will share it with you later as soon okay. as I
3: edit it in my own mind. I look forward to that because I, I as ridiculous and stupid as I think wrestling court was at times, there are some funny stories that come out of it. Like the 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 first class ticket thing, that is a good nature ingest. They weren't actually mad at you guys. It was just let's rib them and let's sure let's let's Give him the business just a little bit. So I think that's super fun. But you bring up a great point here about Michael Hayes. Michael Hayes is someone that you guys get paired with uh, at the middle of May, which we've Mm -hmm. documented again with the Brood. And he's leading your charge against the Brood and Gangrel. And it's, it's a fun assignment for him because it's something new that he gets to do and he adopts you guys as his wrestling sons. He becomes your wrestling daddy. daddy. Oh. The baptism by fire process of getting to know Michael. How much of a test was that for you and Jeff? <laughs> uh,
2: it, it was cool, uh, especially us. Coming from the perspective of being someone who grew up watching Michael Hayes and someone, especially me, I was very legitimately into his act and I, I dug what he did. Uh, so that that was very cool, you know, but then like once it becomes a, a regular thing and just kind of seeing his habits, it was always fun. It was always interesting. But there, there were times, too, where he just thought so very different from how we thought at that time and also just like live such a different lifestyle. So sometimes it could be frustrating, I guess. But it was always just amazing to ride with him, just like pick his brain and and be able to like dig into his knowledge because he is such a knowledgeable guy when it comes to pro wrestling, so was, smart and creative.
3: Was Michael Hayes the kind of guy that? And we've all had these friends or we've had these siblings where you love them, you you know that they add so much value to your life. But there's times you just look at them and you're like, shut the fuck up, just stop talking for for ten minutes because I get that vibe from some of your travel stories, Sarah.
2: Yeah, no, uh, of course. I mean, I feel like even (laughs) even in pro wrestling. I mean, if you're around someone for ten days back to back to back, you know, you're seeing them almost more than your family. So yeah, it it can get it can get old seeing some people, especially if there's someone that gets on your nerves. You know, Michael was a very uh, outspoken guy, and whatever he wanted to do, I mean, we were going to do. So those were the times like, oh God, steal this. You know, we were just like we lived two totally different opposite. You know, two. Totally different, opposite lifestyles at that time.
3: On the Michael Hayes episode, you told the story about driving through the monsoon. You told the story, which is one of my favorite extreme life stories about the rest stop urination, which is quite visceral and you should all check out. Are there (laughs) any other Michael Hayes stories that you haven't shared with us that from that time period that were just an essence of who he was?
2: Oh my God. Um, uh, I, I do remember one time, there was a a deal where Michael had buzzed myself and Jeff said, all right, guys, we got to have a team meeting. And we had two rooms on this occasion and it it must've been just because the office paid for them or something. (laughs) But uh, I feel like it was an older hotel we were at. And I remember we're like, okay, it's super late. We're ready to go to bed. We want to get up early and work out or whatever we're doing. And I was like, no, come on, we need to have a team meeting. And we got in there he started, you know, Breaking down a little bit, a lot of constructive criticism and and also some criticism, just just uh, pure criticism as well about some of the things we had done in the match that night. And then I remember he started smirking at Jeff because Jeff said, like, all right, I got it. I know. Like, whatever. Like, I think I think we're good for a night. Right. And he's like, oh, you think you're special or something because you're hot shit. You know you're 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 a young pretty boy and all the girls love you. Well, that was me too. And you, you think you're special because you do that springboard. Watch this, I can do that. And he like went over and tried to jump up on the air conditioning unit like a springboard and slipped and like boom, like almost rocked himself. And I remember like he was like so beat up or hurt not sure what was going on. And then once we saw he was okay, we went ahead and left. And I, said, I, I think I think it was a night, Jeff. I think we were good.
3: And he's just passed out there. I love that. That's uh, that's fantastic. It, it's that kindred wrestling bond you form with people who take you on as your mentors, and even just when I was riding with Gangrel that that night after that indie show, just hearing these stories from back then, there really is this bond that you guys formed uh, for oh, better yeah. or for worse with these people. But I think about overall the personality of Michael Hayes, and I think about the personality of John Bradshaw Layfield. All right. They just had to have wanted to kill each other. I can't even imagine (laughs) what their personalities were like together. What do you remember their relationship being like back then and over the years? I I can't imagine that John Bradshaw-Layfield didn't get under Michael, Michael Hayes' skin at some point
2: um a little competitive especially at that time it was definitely competitive and and you could tell there was there was a little friction between them too probably from the past maybe from texas or you know wor- you know working somewhere else back in the day but i mean publicly they always got along fine and they they were always professional to a degree although i think uh, Bradshaw's was very professionally stiff in those matches too with michael whenever he got him in there i thought he was going to lay it in pretty good
3: then we have the famous proclamation from Bradshaw about how you guys would eventually treat Michael Hayes. Would you like to remind our audience of that?
2: Yeah, just he saw, you know, he saw that we were traveling with Michael Hayes everywhere and I, I guess he knew Michael pretty well and probably how he, uh, how aggressive he was, you know, with, with younger guys, you know, having us, you know, drive and stop where he wanted and do this and do that, you know, kind of sit under his learning tree, pay our dues, you know, make a name for ourselves. So Bradshaw knew we were getting, Pretty tired of him because, like I said, we were both two different, complete, completely different lifestyles at that point. But, you know, Michael Hayes would say constantly to us, when the Hardys turn on Michael Hayes, they will kill him. When the Hardy boys turn on P.S. Hayes, they will kill him. Just over and over. That was the thing he would say almost every day to us. A daily process. So
3: I, I, I feel like...
2: We had to make it come
3: to be. I feel like that is him projecting how he would maybe perhaps like to see things play out (laughs) (laughs) just just a small hint there. Um, So let's, let's get into the meat and bones here, Matt, That, that brood feud that you guys have go throughout the summer, which again, we did cover, but we know eventually where this is all going. It's leading up to the tag team ladder match that changed the course of tag team wrestling history that we covered on episode one here. But how pivotal were those matches in making you guys, and I don't just mean you and Jeff, I also mean Edge and Christian, mm-hmm. the performers that would eventually break out? What were those house show reports like about your matches, and what were the reactions you guys were getting?
2: Uh, I mean, we, we were getting really good reactions in, and the, the house show reports were great. They would put us over, and a lot of times they would say we were the best match on the show, and, and one of the matches that got the best reaction. You know, So obviously we were very gifted Uh, and lucky to be in that early slot on the show we were usually the first or second match but we ended up i remember there's a period of time where jr bonused us for our house show matches because we were like working so hard every single night and trying to go above and beyond to have these great matches so that was that was really cool and and super motivating as well that jr actually bonused us for those house show matches
3: yeah and it's funny i was doing my research and i was reading a few reviews from around that time about your matches and Even Dave Meltzer, who, as we know, is pretty damn critical sometimes, especially in that era, was saying that the expectation became that you and the Brood were going to have good matches. People knew that. So you're giving people something to look forward to in this smorgasbord of a tag team division. Right. Did you feel like you guys were knocking on the door? And I mean that by collectively you four, did you feel like you were knocking on the door and ready to kick through it then?
2: We, we thought we were ready for an opportunity, you know, so, and we were just being
3: very patient.
2: And, you know, we, you know, they told us that we going to sign us at one point and we tried to stay patient. It was very hard to stay patient, but eventually they did sign us. Uh, and, and once again, we, they were saying they were going to create opportunity for us. We were having these great matches and, and they really wanted to put us in some sort of slot on the show. So we just kind of we were patient and we just waited until our time
3: and our term. At King of the Ring, you guys are facing Edging Christian on Heat, and the Acolytes actually run in and cause a no contest after they beat all you guys up. Mm -hmm. And it's restarted later in the pay-per-view as a number one contenders match to face the Acolytes. Uh, It's a a two-and-a-quarter star match for the Wrestling Observer. The Hardy Boys defeat Edging Christian in four minutes and 49 seconds. It actually wins best match on the Observer poll, just even two-and-a-quarter stars. The fans voted it the best match that night, and it's highlighted, if you recall... By Edge hitting the middle rope spear.
2: Out of the portrait motion,
3: right? And that kind of seems like that might be the groundwork for what we would eventually see from Edge and Jeff Hardy at WrestleMania 17, which we will be talking about next year. Right. But what do you remember about that King of the Ring match there? Uh, eventually, you guys win after Gangrel drinks the blood and he tries to blow it at Jeff. He ducks and it gets in Edge's eyes and then. Jeff uses the cutter to call on the win, the twist of fate, as we know it now. Any right. recollections about that match?
2: Yeah, I remember we were really excited when they told us we were going to be winning that number one contenders match. And I, I want to say it's right around this time that Michael had kind of buzzed us on the plan. I, I know we had kind of been buzzed that they were talking about doing this a couple weeks out, you know, about giving us like an upset win on the uh, on the acolytes. And I'm pretty positive they either told the Acolytes the day before or the day of. I'm pretty sure their, theirs was much shorter. I'm sure there was a caveat, though. And Bradshaw had made sure they did an angle that his head was injured, and I'm sure we'll talk about that later. But uh, uh, long story short, um, we, were, we were excited to, to actually get to work twice on this King of the Ring, too, because we had so much material between the Hardys and Edge and Christian. Uh, we knew if we worked twi- twice, we could still do fresh stuff in, in both, both segments
3: what do you remember about Michael telling you that you guys might be winning the tag titles here? What was his cadence like and what was your reactions?
2: Uh, he was like, this, this isn't certain, you know, but there's talk of doing this, you know? So, and, and I feel like he kind of stated it from a motivational standpoint where, you know, he's like, come on, just make sure you work hard. You guys be as good as possible. Don't be lazy. Let's, let's really keep this rocking and rolling because there's a lot of people that are starting to believe in you now. How'd that feel? Uh, very very rewarding uh it, it just it was affirmation that we were doing our job correctly and, and that we were busting our ass and that people were taking notice so that was really important
3: what was the office reception to this pay-per-view match here and uh did you get a feel at all for them being comfortable and starting to put the titles on you guys
2: uh they, they were they were happy with the both matches the little Match started. They ended up in a DQ, and then the match back on the pay per view. They were uh, they were very happy with both matches. So that's I mean that's the main thing we're looking to do at this time. Uh, we were just hoping to, to get an opportunity, uh, and then obviously once we have been given a little bit of an opportunity, we just want to make the most of
3: it. I know you're pretty low in the pecking order, and it sounds like Michael is your intermediary between yeah creative team and you guys. But are there any interactions with Vince McMahon about? where you guys might be headed here?
2: No, not, not a lot. I mean, he would, he would always compliment us, you know, if we'd come back through gorilla and we'd had a, a match that he liked or he enjoyed, he would compliment us or he would, you know, criticize us and give us, you know, constructive criticism. Um, but, but not a lot. I mean that he was, he was friendly and and he interacted with guys a little more publicly then. So, I mean, we would talk to him every, every now and then every so often, but not, nothing really on, on
3: business. On the next night's edition of Sunday Night Heat, it's you guys versus Kane and X It ends in a DQ after the acolytes interfere, and that sets us up for and the-
2: that, that's where uh, that's where JBL eats the tombstone, right?
3: Yes, he eats on the tombstone. stairs, and,
2: and and I feel like that was his caveat in this match. Like, okay, well, you want us to put these kids over, you will know, we'll put these kids over, but you know, I have to have this, you know, right in an injury where I have a head trauma, I have an injury, and and then they can they can utilize that in, in the match whenever we get got get beat. Hmm. That would be right? my guess. That would be my guess. That was a caveat of uh the 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 APA. Which which is fine. And it's no okay with that. It. and I, I'm down with that. I'm I'm down with that and I'm totally cool with that. Um, but once again, that's just a guess. I mean, because we work that into our story very hardcore. Also, something that's very funny. Whenever we watch this, there's a point where there's a medic in the back that's going to stop JBL or stop Bradshaw from going out. Do you know what I'm talking about, John? Yeah. Mm-hmm. and this, this medic uh do you know who that is
3: i'd have to watch it back off well I'll, I'll try to point it out can i point it out when i see it and then you can tell me yeah
2: that yeah that, that's someone who is uh very noteworthy to okay. omega wrestling
3: okay. i'm gonna take a look well uh next week we're gonna be covering shane helms and that's gonna be some fun omega stuff so speaking of omega yeah i can't wait to get into that so Uh, Let's let's take a look about this again if you guys are watching Matt Hardy brand uh, that's going to be the place to get on board with that but uh, actually Matt before we even do that uh, before when we were taping earlier we had to take a quick pause because you got a call about uh, the Hardy mobile And uh, there's a lot of crazy 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 stuff going on with the Hardy mobile and you must be pretty damn glad that you've got your car covered. And our friends at CarShield want to help you do that because this episode is brought to you by CarShield. They make it easy and affordable to protect your car from expensive repairs, and that is just for starters. CarShield is the number one auto protection company in the U.S. and offers protection plans for around 100 bucks a month. The plans cover more parts than ever before, whether your car is 5,000 miles or 150,000 miles. And it is so simple, Matt, to get your car fixed when you need a repair you uh-huh. choose the mechanic and car shield's administrators handle the rest of it that is it you don't have to deal with the paperwork there's no headaches you're not going to get any calls during your podcast everything is taken uh-huh. care of and the same goes if your car breaks down and you're stuck on the side of the road plans through car shield include coast to coast roadside assistance their administrators are there for sure. you with rental car options and trip reimbursement at no extra cost matt hardy how important is it when you're on the road as much as you do to have that kind of protection with your car
2: it's extremely important and by a very fortunate twist of fate uh the hardy mobile is insured by car shield and uh th- those guys make it so easy and uh I-, I am so happy i have them as my insurance people they uh, they they make my job and my life much much easier
3: and if you want to get coverage today, you can lock in your price now. It's never going to go up. That means as long as you own your car, no matter how old it may be, how many miles, whatever it is, you are protected from the rising costs of parts and repairs for your vehicle. CarShield helps protect my wallet from expensive car repairs, which I know a lot about. And they will do the same for you. Go to carshield.com podcast to start your plan and lock in your pricing forever. Across all the multitudes of time and space, Matt Hardy. And you let CarShield delete your automotive worries. CarShield.com slash podcast. A deductible may apply. So it is time for us, Matt Hardy, to watch this little match here. Are you ready?
2: Yeah, let's rock and roll,
3: man. This is July 5th, 1999, 23 years ago. I can't believe that. And we are – this is in North Carolina as well.
2: Nor can I. It doesn't seem like 23 years. <laughs> it's crazy.
3: And, and we are ready to do this. So let's get things popping here. Tony Chimel. There we have it.
2: And this is in Fedville, North Carolina. This is uh, the, the biggest city.
3: Party country. There you go. The
2: WWF would run at the time. That was the closest to us. I mean, this is legitimately – this arena is like – Uh, 35 minutes from, from our home, from our homes.
3: I know we talked about this in depth, but man, just there's that, there's that angle that we just saw. There's there's the caveat. (laughs) Bradshaw dying a death on the stairs in the middle of the ring.
2: Yeah. Oh, here we go. I want you to watch close, John. Okay. Everybody watch close. See if you recognize this, uh,
3: paramedic here. Matt Hardy brand on YouTube, guys. Oh, that is AJ Styles. Is that AJ Styles? No, that's not AJ Styles. It looked like that's his 2001 haircut. I couldn't <laughs> see who that was. Who is that?
2: That is Tracy Cadell. That that's Tracy Pepper Cadell? Trevor Lee's father, yeah. Cameron oh, Grounds' father. Oh, my
3: goodness. From the back, I was like, oh, it's but then he says Omega tie-in. Wow, that is so cool.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that, that was uh, – obviously, he was booked there. You know uh you know still we were trying to get our boys booked as extra whenever we were in, in the in the area for sure and uh he, he was booked as an extra that day and ended up doing that little paramedic spot
3: that is awesome that must have been really cool for you guys to have him there when you guys won this then
2: yeah it was great we had uh we, we had a whole bunch of family and friends there that night and then, this is what a great hot start this match was the match wasn't going to be long as, as it was anyway so uh, JBO, I, I really thought that he was very talented at like working as a big man and and having young guys like myself and Jeff have creative ways to like get them down or make them bump. I thought he did a re- really good job with that. He was real smart in, in in the way he would work his matches.
3: Who pitches an opening spot like that? Uh,
2: I I feel like we wanted to start hot because we knew we didn't have a lot of time anyway, and and I want to say that spot. In, in the beginning was just maybe something myself and Jeff and maybe even Michael Hayes that we all kind of cooked up, you know, to to do things. Because JBL loved to, like catch guys and have the other guy know you or whatever. Uh and I'll never forget to this event Omega. Man, Ron bitched about that one for so long. <laughs> I <It> was so <laughs> weird Ron was gonna like beat the shit out of us. Uh apparently it was like the leg drop rock, rocked his head. He apparently we got him real good on that one.
3: Well you're the one delivering the leg drops. So uh yeah. So, I uh, give hard. me the heat. And you just took that spinebuster, some, yeah. some some payback. Oh, what a great running power slam he had, man! Yeah. Oh, he the, was...
2: the, the 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 pace of this match was 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 so fast, especially for an acolytes APA match. But I th- I thought it was great for a short match. This is a great little match.
3: When do you remember finding out definitively you guys were taking the titles? Um.
2: Maybe like a, a week out, you know. We I'm not sure that we believed it, but we'd heard like a week out that it was definitely like a lot to to happen.
3: Did you tell anyone of your family and no. friends that were coming? No, no. Okay. no, we didn't.
2: We didn't tell anyone because you know we didn't want to jinx ourselves. And then sure. honestly, we we didn't believe it would happen until it actually happened.
3: Dude, Bradshaw is working snug here.
2: Oh yeah, snug with three Gs, man. Snug
3: <laughs> Irish whip.
2: And uh, once again, back to the head. I mean, they, they did a great job in commentary, too, of uh, talking about the the head injury and the head trauma. Oh, here's another one of the spots, you know, catches the baby face. And then there's Jeff off the top of the drop kick to, to get him down. He was he was real real good at working like a big man.
3: And that's what they wanted from him as well. Thrown to the outside there. And Bradshaw always did a great fallaway slam. I loved his fallaway slam. Yeah. Ooh, boy, that... Did not look good. Yeah,
2: I mean, too, that's like – I mean, that's running into, like, this massive concrete wall. <laughs> Those two guys, for sure. Especially Ron, man. Like, you can just – Ron is just so explosive. You can just tell him, like, his mannerisms, the way he moves around. Just he's, like, a, a truly explosive athlete. Even as he's – you know, as he was getting older here, he's still just a, a badass athlete.
3: I love the double armband look on him, too. It right. accentuated just how gigantic his freaking biceps were. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, you know, the Hardy's. I mean,
2: and you, you know, look, looking back at this match, I have a lot of a lot of respect for these guys of like, I mean, they they really uh kept us doing stuff in the match and, exactly and gave, us, gave us a great match. I mean, you know, like especially they're probably, you know, they're like guessing like, why are we putting these guys over? Why are they winning the titles? Like, are these guys really gonna amount to anything? Whatever. But you know, they they worked super hard and they uh they took took pride in this match, which I thought was cool.
3: I was just about to say, you guys are getting a lot of shine here. Yeah. There we
2: go. Back to the, uh, the noggin, you know, telling that story that he has this head trauma and that's, you know, his weakness right now.
3: Laying them in on Bradshaw.
2: Yeah, there we go. Uh, here, here, here is going to come a good one. (laughs) 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 When you take that a few, uh, a few times, you, uh, you learn to, you learn to go with it pretty quickly.
3: I think it was a little different than the clothesline I took this past week. Just like <laughs> that. Here comes Michael. Chase is on Farouk and Michael Hayes on the outside. I'm sure, Bradshaw wishes it was him.
2: Oh no! They almost look they. They brought the action towards where like the <laughs> DQ was going to go on. <laughs> like yeah, they brought right, the action right. the wrong way. I think.
3: So yeah, stairs to the head. Michael Hayes after Jeff used the cane a tornado DDT onto Bradshaw and one, two, three, the uh, Hardy boys
2: barely got him. We got him at 3.002. Wow. You know, he, he kicked out right after three.
3: And I, and there's Michael celebrating this. This
2: was, this was exciting. I mean, the excitement you see from us is so legitimate. You know, we were so happy. we were so thrilled. Like, you know, we were, you know, more or less in our hometown. Of Fayetteville, North Carolina, and you know we win the WWF World Tag Team Titles, and and that was like truly our dream. And if we did that, then we had been successful in this industry. So it was a uh, it, it was an amazing night, and that match will always hold a dear, very important space in my heart because it, it, it's the first time we won the WWE tag team titles. And I mean, the, the match was great. It was short, you know, people aren't going to say, Oh my God, it was five stars. It was six stars, you know, but like, it was very important to us and very sentimental and it, it will always be one of my favorite matches because it was where the, uh, the realization of our dream happened.
3: I also appreciated the finish where a tornado DDT from the rope. We don't see you guys do stuff like that as a finish ever, but because of the story that you laid together, where Bradshaw's head got screwed up by Kane, right. you doing a an, an elevated and avalanche DDT of sorts that makes sense to play into the finish there in my opinion.
2: Yeah, and also the Kane, you know, using the Kane, hitting him over the, the head, you know, obviously going to the head trauma, then doing a swing DDT on top of it. Yeah, I thought it was a, a great finish, and I remember that that is that was a that was Bradshaw's idea, I think, to to do that at the end. But he was uh he was very much on top of it as far as wanting to do something to continue telling that story. He was having, you know, head issues.
3: Well, you know, Bradshaw's head could be feeling a lot better, Matt Hardy, if he was taking AG one, one of our favorite partners here on the extreme life of Matt Hardy presented by You'll Hap keep your head, head. right. It will keep your head right, absolutely, because with just one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. It is a special blend of ingredients that supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy recovery, focus, and aging. And after you take a DDT like that, you're going to need all the help in the world getting your focus back on track. It is lifestyle friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy friendly, or gluten free, containing less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, and no nasty chemicals or artificial anything while still tasting pretty damn good. And it costs you less than three dollars a day. You're investing in your health. And it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. It's cheaper than getting all those different supplements yourself. You're investing in an all-in-one nutritional insurance. Matt Hardy, if JBL were taking his athletic greens, what would his endorsement sound like?
2: It'd say, well, hell, AG1s keep me clotheslining from hell. <laughs> uh I'll tell you what, man. Ag Ag Ones. Uh, I'm a little biased because I do love the product so much, you know. But they really have, man. They have been so so beneficial to to myself and my supplements and and my diet recently. So thank you, Ag Ones.
3: I saw even Mark Henry was trying to pitch a sponsorship with Ag Ones. Yeah. I was like, man, a-
2: a- everybody's onto the secret,
3: man. I've been spreading the word, spreading the word in the AEW locker room. AG1s are over. They certainly are over. And right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. Just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That is it. no need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five. Matt Hardy, how many free travel packs? Five. Cinco five, cinco, five, five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash Hardy. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash Hardy to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. We appreciate athletic greens and AG ones, and we thank them for sponsoring this podcast. Matt Hardy, would you like to answer some fan questions here about that match?
2: Yes, uh, we can definitely do that. I would like to tell one more sure. uh, Bradshaw story. Let's hear Bradshaw you know? stories. The more the merrier. Well, this is when we first got on the road too. Uh, you know, we've kind of revisited all of this as we were talking back through times. When we were wearing our tights, probably uh, late 1998, it's after we'd started on the road. We started on the road in like September, October. So it, it was uh, a few weeks in after we'd started on house shows. And we were starting a loop off in San Antonio. At a house show. And I want to say we were working with too much at this time. So, you know, we kind of had our, had our gig together. But one of our flights, you know, we had a connection to get there, myself and, and Brother Nero, Jeff Hardy. One of our flights got totally canceled. And we were going to be able to make it there. But literally, we were going to get into San Antonio about 7 o'clock. And, like, the show started at 7.30. And typically, talent is asked to be there at 6 o'clock, 6.15, whatever, you know, an hour to an hour and a half before and a house show would start at that time. So we're going to be getting in about seven o'clock and we've let uh, the office know, you know, the producer at the show, they know exactly you know what's going on. They know about our travel woes, travel department does as well. And we're on the clears as for us, as, you know, doing things. And we're obviously very nervous because we hadn't missed the show and we didn't want this to be our first one. And then we get there to the show that that uh, that that night it ends up being about 715, 720. So. We have like 10 or 15 minutes. for the opening match. If we can get ready real quick, we can hustle our ass out there and, and have our match against too much. And we, we have the match down because we've done it several times. It, that won't be a problem. As we run in the uh, arena with our bags, we're obviously all nervous because just still showing up in front of all the boys late is always weird. And I remember Bradshaw said, well, hell, Hardy's glad you could make it. Considering uh you you just got here, let me let me show you where the dressing room is since you don't know since you hadn't been here, because you're big stars nowadays. Here, it's right over here. This is the dressing room right here. And then we look, oh my God, thanks, thanks. And we're obviously nervous because we're like, he's being super sarcastic, but like, what the fuck? What if he doesn't know? What if he just thinks we just showed up late on our on our own because we're getting the the big head? And then we take these bags and we go to the room that he uh pointed us towards. And as uh we go in there, the undertaker's like sitting there, wrapping his knees and looks up says. Uh, hey, guys, welcome to my room. And we're like, oh, no, no, we don't want to be in. No, 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 you guys just go ahead and stay in there. Considering you show up at bell time, you, you must be a main event star like The Undertaker. So, yeah, please, just, just dress with The Undertaker. Since you're at a the top talent main event now, Hardys. <laughs> and then we're like, oh, sorry, and we're getting dressed, and it's so awkward, you know. And Taker's in there by himself. We're invading his space because they pushed us in here on – you know, the, 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 the enforcer in the, the locker room, they push us into a space. So we changed real quick. We go to the ring. We have our match with too much. We're like, okay, ah, it's great. Thank God we're through it. What a stressful day this has been. And we come back to that room where Taker was. And uh, we knock on the door and said, hey, we're going to grab our stuff. And he's not in there. We go in and our bags are gone.
3: I knew it. I knew it.
2: Nowhere to be found. And then I just remember asking people and, and we were in the locker room and said, uh, excuse me, guys, is, uh, it, did anybody move our bags in here? We're like, we didn't want to dress in in Taker's room. You know, we just kind of got pushed into it because we we're here the last second and rushing. And and, you know, we're 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 so sorry. Like uh, we didn't mean to do that. And, and did anybody bring our bags just like to the main male talent room? And then uh, Bradshaw said, well, hell Hardy." If you guys weren't such prima donnas that show up at bell time and you'd come dress with all the boys, we could probably watch your bags. I mean, if you're in Undertaker's locker room, he's there by himself. If he happens to leave, who knows who could get in and steal those damn bags. If you weren't such a big main event star that shows up at bell time or past, I'm sure all the all the town in the locker room would be happy to oversee your gear and make sure it stays safe. He says, well, good luck on finding that. <laughs> And then we search, we search for 30, 45 minutes for these bags all around the arena, you know, trying to figure out what's going on. And eventually we run to Road Dog. He said, listen, listen, your bags, they're in the dumpster out back, but they made sure they were zipped up all the way so they wouldn't get, you know, disgusting. So they're out there, and you ain't heard this from me because I don't want the heat you guys got. All right? <laughs> all right, thanks, dog. And th- they were. They had, like, uh, zipped up our bags and kind of set them in the dumpster a little bit. Well, once again, it's uh, the fraternity, and they're saying, like, you know, how are you going to react to these situations? You know, is it, it dependent on how they would treat you, too? So uh, that that was a that was a pretty fun story, though.
3: When the Hardy Boys turn on Michael Hayes, they will kill him. That's when the Hardy
2: Boys turn on Michael P.S. Hayes, <laughs> they will kill him.
3: <laughs> you know, he's pretty lucky the Hardy Boys never turned on John Bradshaw Layfield. <laughs> there's some ammo there.
2: <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> When the Hardys turn on JBL, they will kill him.
3: <laughs> it certainly seems like there was some ammo. What's your relationship like with Bradshaw today?
2: Uh, it's been great. I mean, the last few times I've seen him, you know, they've been at uh, Comic-Cons or, you know, different appearances where there's kind of like, you know, crossover, some AW people there, some WWE people there. I've seen him uh, a couple times. It's just been great. I got to have lunch with him one time kind of catch up on
3: things. Should have taken his bags. Should have moved them in. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, hell, if you weren't such a big star. Yeah, and you weren't such a prima donna. And You didn't want to have to a dressing room by yourself in the Undertaker, the greatest of all time.
3: Well, you know what? You're a prima donna now and a big star that can order the t- the tuna poke bowl if you'd like, to, Matt Hardy. <laughs> You've you earned go. that, right? You've earned that. Uh, let's let's get some questions from our fans here. Hashtag Ask Matt. Uh, well, have- hell. Peter wants to know what was in Michael Hayes' fanny pack.
2: <laughs> usually uh, usually there would be keys. There would be money. And there would be one cigarette if he could get it. He was always looking for one cigarette. He would try and bomb a cigarette and have one cigarette. He tried to do that always after he would eat his food. He would, he would order food. He would start drinking at the bar. He would, like, not eat his food. He would ask for a box, get it in a box to take back to the room, and then he would have a cigarette. That was his ritual every single night.
3: Lots of Michael Hayes questions here. Yambag Jones asked, what kind of party did Michael Hayes throw after your win and how many fanny packs were involved? <laughs> um, it, it, it
2: was cool. We actually, Michael went ahead and I want to say was doing the drive to Raleigh that night because we we're in Fayetteville and that's where we we're flying out of the next day. That's the, the very famous story of him using his, you know, billion miles on Delta to get his first class that next day. This is after we actually won the tag team titles. Um, we had a little celebration at Ruby Tuesdays, and that, that's a, that's a, a, a weird place, but it was like one of the few things that were open at that time of the night. And that we had a whole bunch of family and friends that were around. Obviously, we just talked about you know Triple East dad, uh, Tracy being there, and a lot of our guys were booked, and a lot of our guys were there watching in the crowd. We went to this Ruby Tuesdays, and I remember Jeff and I. This such a Markish thing, you know, but like we went to pop everybody. We put the belts on and then put our t-shirts over, and we like walked in and like put over shirt. And the buzz like. Aah! <laughs> big big celebration. These guys walking in with their titles. <laughs> That's cool. Though.
3: That's cool. Was your dad there? He was. That's cool. He was, yeah. That was very cool. That's very cool. Uh let's see here. Uh we've got more Michael Hayes questions of course. Um if this is from Matt, if Michael Hayes could have had his way, do you think your first tag team titles would have been fanny packs?
2: <laughs> i don't yeah. know maybe, maybe he could build a you know the the, the fanny pack championship and uh, just build a, a belt that like uh lies down
3: like a fanny pack i know your gear would have been forks knives and spoons if he had his say there you have it forks uh, knives and spoons he says uh during your first tag team title run did michael hayes ever pitch getting matching mullets
2: <laughs> uh he did not uh ironically you know he he did pitch initially before we went the uh kickwear route and the t Riley t-shirts he did pitch initially dressing very similar to the Freebirds. you know he he first threw out like big belt buckles you know like a flannel shirt with the sleeves cut out and jeans and boots which that would have been, that'd been a wild look for the hardy boys in in 1999
3: uh, Adam asked, on the path to becoming champs, you got the Getzooks gear and started wearing studded metal belts. Did any opponents ever complain about getting clipped by those buckle belts? Uh, metal ring gear accents are more common today, but I believe you guys may have been the first.
1: Yeah, I, I,
2: ironically enough, no. Um, there, No one ever bitched about our belts. And we, did, we had some belts that were really... Uh, you know, still studded in many, many ways. We had a lot of really intricate belts that we would buy. And that was kind of like our gig at that time. But no, no, nobody ever got hurt or complained or bitched about
3: it. Uh, Dylan asks a good one. Were the APA willing to give up the titles easily or had they felt that the Hardys hadn't quite earned them yet?
2: I mean, that, that's an intriguing question for sure. And, and I'm sure in the back of their heads, uh, they're probably like oh, I don't think that you know th- these boys aren't ready for the titles, which they weren't really. The titles were like a prop that like helped get us over at that time. They they probably said, Oh, these guys don't deserve the titles or they're not ready for the titles, whatever, but this is pro wrestling and this is our job. So we're gonna go out here and make this match as good as we possibly can. And I, I thought they were very open-minded about that. And I think I think at the end of the day, they had been around us long enough that w- they knew that we were guys that were working so hard and we bust our ass. And we wanted to be around for the long haul. So I, I feel pretty confident they were like, OK, with putting us over as far as that goes. They just wanted to, to look strong in defeat, which, you know, uh, Bradshaw had that storyline that just started with Kane from the night before, which played into all that. And I thought it I thought it was a great story and, and it was a great way for us to win the titles because uh, it was one of those times where the, those titles elevated us a lot whenever we had them for those three, four weeks.
3: Tori asked, did you know your SummerSlam plans at that point were going to end up in a lame tag turmoil match and it was just a swerve, bro, that the Hardys' first reign started on a Raw? Uh,
2: no, we we didn't know what our SummerSlam plans were going to be for sure. I mean, we, we would typically know things since we had Michael with us maybe a week or two out, you know, what they were talking about doing or what they were thinking about doing, you know, as far as like definitely what we're going to be doing at SummerSlam. And we were definitely on the – the bottom of the list of importance when it came to like knowing what you're going to be doing on the per view at that time. No.
3: Chevy asks, are you guys from bad street, Cameron, North Carolina, USA?
2: (laughs) Uh, That would be amazing if there was an actual bad street in Cameron at some point, but unfortunately there's not. So I guess we are not from bad street, Cameron, USA.
3: And Austin asked our final question. Was it a dream come true to fulfill what you had worked so hard for?
2: Absolutely. It was literally a dream coming true. And it was just such an amazing moment. I mean, to to feel like there's, there's one thing, you know, like at this point, obviously as you get older times change and and your thought process changes, but you know, to have like this one thing, that's like your dream. And if I can attain this, it's going to be amazing. And then to be able to do that when you're like 24 and 21 or 22, it was, was was a pretty amazing deal. Uh, So yeah, it it was a, it, it was a literal dream come true and it was something that, you know, we always had confidence and faith that we could one day do. And and once we did it, it just it was it was so amazing, so rewarding.
3: Anything you'd like to share with people about pursuing those dreams? I know you like trying to inject some positivity into all these episodes. People like to dream big. There are thousands of other people out there who one day wish to become a WWE tag team champion. Uh, what kind right. of advice or words do you have to share with them?
2: Uh, I mean, the, the first thing I say, and this is something that the Hardy boys have said forever, and we're based around this. So, you know, you, you have to dare to dream. I mean, if there's someone out there who, you know, watches professional wrestling, is really drawn to it and, and, and feel like they would want to make that their career, I'd say go for it, man. Like, you know, I'm certainly not going to be hypocritical. Uh, I came a, a very weird, strange route to get into to what I did. But, you know, it, it's what I want to do. And now I've, I've done this and I've made a living off this now for, you know, a quarter of a century. So it's uh, it's, it's real cool to, to have a goal and and be able to procure it and and make money out of it and, and do whatever. But like if you have a dream, chase that dream and, and just know to achieve, you have to believe. Believe in yourself, bust your ass, work as hard as you possibly can. And, and I'm a living example. If Matt Hardy from Podunk Cameron, North Carolina, can make it in pro wrestling something that seemed wild, where we had no connection, we didn't know anyone, uh, and I can have this kind of run that I've had. Like, of course you can do it. <laughs> It'll be easy on your end. Just put in the work, do the work, and uh, and anything can can become a reality.
3: That's from Bad Street, Cameron, North Carolina, USA. Very cool that so cool. many people wanted to hear Michael Hayes' stories. If you haven't, guys, extremehardy.com. Go into the archive. And check out our Michael Hayes episode. It's one of my favorite of this entire podcast. Matt told some amazing stories from that. And uh, who knows, Matt? Maybe one day down the line we'll be able to get Michael Hayes on this podcast. And that would be a very special one. No doubt about that. That would be great. Um, Yeah, ExtremeHardy.com. Go hit that subscribe button. How many stars should they leave us in terms of a review, Matt Hardy?
2: You know the deal around here. Five, cinco, five cinco five
3: star review we will do more giveaways i promise you that so keep those reviews coming if you've submitted one already you just in. love giving away stuff we do like giving away stuff and we will get you all taken care of and it will be a lot of fun again if you're an ad free show subscriber if you're thinking about adfreeshows.com I can't encourage you enough. Get involved with the Ad Free Shows family. Matt and I are going to be doing a live Q&A this coming Tuesday, and we're going to be watching SummerSlam 2000 back. Probably the first time in a long time we've seen that match back, I'd have to imagine. Yeah, yeah, I, I haven't. It's been years. It's been so a long time. We'll get to watch that one back before we even cover it on the podcast here later this year. And then Matt and I are going to be at StarCast in Nashville July 31st. Pick up your tickets now, Starcast. Dot com and you can watch it on pay-per-view if you can't make the trip over on fight tv matt hardy it's always my favorite time of the weekend to lay down these episodes with you i hope yes, you sir. have a great week a great week of travel i hope that the travel's a little better going home than it was coming in and uh, anything else you'd like to add here uh no, just
2: uh thanks to each and every one of you that join us every single week for the extreme life of Matt Hardy myself and John we greatly appreciate it and uh, and thank you for spreading the word about us. It's been really cool and it's it's been a great experience growing and learning uh with each and every one of you guys. Thank you guys for supporting the extreme life of Matt Hardy.
3: Well, I know it's summertime right now, but Matt Hardy next week there's a hurricane coming through on the extreme and back <laughs> there's a hurricane coming through i when, What's up with that? When you and I talked about episodes that we were going to lay down for this podcast, Shane Helms was right at the top of that because I know you guys are kindred yeah. spirits, and you are going to have a lot of great Shane Helms stories to share with us. So, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. That is going to be a very fun episode next week. One of those hidden gems. Don't sleep, guys. Hit that subscribe button. Five star reviews. The words have been spoken. We'll see you next time right here on the Extreme Life of Matt Hardy. Thank you, everyone.
0: My skin's dying. You're under it I-